Deutsche Bank issues and potential outcomes, global issues which will affect your personal money, and how to prepare. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, my freedom-loving friends. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent. Wee, 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 wee. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And you stay for the principles. And today is, honestly, I think today is going to be the most important show I've ever done. Because I want to talk to you about something that is very, very serious, I believe. I want to give you a financial warning. And I want to say to you from the offset a couple of things. One, if you do nothing else from this show, I want you to get your financial house in order. Because I think there's a major, major trouble coming. And I don't do this to scaremonger or to fearmonger or for ratings. Today I'm going to make the case of something I've been working on for a while behind the scenes. And I'm going to present the evidence to you. And I'm not going to tell you that I be- that I can definitely say 100% this is going to happen. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to present the facts to you. And then I'm going to say to you, do your own homework. And if I'm wrong, which by the way, I hope I am, I will celebrate if I am wrong. I'm expecting this show will be hopefully widely shared and widely mocked. I will celebrate with those who mock me if I am wrong about this. This is not something I want. But I want to make the case to you today as if I'm a trial attorney of giving you the evidence And I'm going to give you everything that you can go Google and do your own research on. And then you can make up your mind. You can say, hey, John, you're full of hoey. John, I actually think you're right or you might be onto something. I'm also have to give you a few warnings from a legal point of view. The first thing I need to do is I am not a financial expert. This is not, should not be considered advice. If you take advice from someone that you don't know, you might want to consider how smart you are. Second of all, I'm going to give you some scenarios. I'm going to lay out the case for you when later on in the show, I'm going to lay out some scenarios of what I think is happening or what is going to happen and the likelihood of these things happening. And then you can make your decision. As always, when I do this show, if this is, if you're the first time listening to this show today, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here, yes, to give you my opinion, but also to get you to find out where you stand. If you listen to this show and think I've overblown it or I've, you know, something's wrong with me or you know i'm exaggerating okay cool i hope you're right but i'd ask you to do your own homework the third thing i want to say to you from the offset is i'm going to ask for your patience because i'm going to give you a lot of stuff and i'm going to break it down very slowly but is if you're listening to this show and it starts getting overwhelming you're like oh my god the world is going to end i want to assure you it's not the world is not going to end Well, sorry, I can't say that. Actually, maybe God is saying it's time. Maybe this weekend, I I don't know. We know not the air nor the day. But if you get worried about this, I don't want you to be worried. What I want you to do is prepare. And we're going to go through how you can prepare later on in the show. How you feel is best, not how I feel is best. The other thing I want to say before I get down to this is, the biggest thing I want to talk to you about today, I'm going to talk to you about many issues that I'm worried about. The biggest thing is, and I want to get this crystal clear from the start, has nothing to do with Donald Trump. I shared this on social media the other day, and I said some messages immediately going, oh, you're, I see you're back on your never Trump bandwagon, or you're, you're trying to help the Dems again. No, I'm not here to help anyone. The f- biggest story I want to talk to you about has nothing to do with Donald Trump. 
I would even be interested to find out if this story is even on Donald Trump's radar, from not from him, but from his advisors. So what is that story? Well, we need to go into the history books. And we need to start laying the case. And I'm, the first one I want to do is I want to talk to you about a bank. And that bank is called Deutsche Bank. Now, I want to give you some statistics about this bank, and I want to give you some stories about this bank. This bank is Germany's biggest bank. This bank, in 2018, had 2.08 trillion worth of assets. That's a lot of money. It is so dominant in the German marketplace that the second place bank, DZ Bank, has 506 billion. So about 25% of the assets that Deutsche Bank has. To show you how dominant this player is in Germany, you want to talk about monopolies? This bank has more assets than the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth bank combined. So this is a true market leader. I'm sharing this so you can get a sense of who these people are. They are the biggest bank by far in Germany. I want to talk to you about some stories that have been coming out over the last couple of months. This bank, if you Google, even if you just Google search this, if you pause the show and do a Google search, Deutsche Bank scandals, you will come up with a list. They even have rap sheets. And this is not a a six-month thing or a two-year thing or a five-year thing. This goes all the way back to Nazi Germany, where they helped the Nazis do gold trading. That was a story uncovered, I, I believe, in 1998. So this shows you how long things are going back. But it has a really bad record. This week, a new story and a new scandal broke. And its investment banker, the head of investment banking boss, a person called Gareth Ritchie, has been investigated, and people around him are being investigated, for illicit t- tax transactions. Now, this in itself is not a big deal per se. It's just part of a long string of issues I want to string together for you. The second scandal that I want to share with you is really troubling, especially if you're pro-freedom or you're pro-America. There's a country in Europe called Estonia. You may have heard of it. In Estonia, there's approximately 1.3 million people. To put this into context, its GDP is $26 billion. Okay? Why am I sharing the figures about Estonia? Because I want to share this story with you. It was reported in January, and there's been a big investigation by both European officials and the US officials, that Deutsche Bank, which is Germany's biggest bank, which we're talking about, kind of got into bed with Danske Bank, which is the Danish bank, and literally funneled... $230 million of cross-country payments in one branch in Estonia. The reason I shared the figures about Estonia, its GDP is $26 billion in a year. It funneled $230 billion. So 10 times that amount of its GDP in one little bank in Estonia. Now, there's an investigation going into this about where cross-country payments are. Some of them are linked to Soviet Russia. If you go back to all the way back to last year, late November, there was a big scandal. I don't think we spoke about it on this show, but there was a big scandal over this side of the pond. It was called the Panama Papers. You might have heard of it, of how banking and tax havens and people are funding money offshore and taking money out of the circulation. Well, basically, Deutsche Bank was big in this. To show you how big, 170 police raided six of their offices last year. And they started talking about money laundering and and tax havens and a lot of different things. Then you have a story which is about their bonds, which no one can make sense of. In 2007, they made a portfolio purchase right before the financial crisis. They made a $7.8 billion portfolio purchase. Then they started to question inside whether it was actually worth it. And they actually purchased an insurance policy from Warren Buffett. Well, long story short, what they did was over 10 years, 
They basically lost $1.6 billion on this purchase, which is a big loss. But they didn't update their financial statements. This is bad practice. Let me give you an example in case you're wondering why is this such a big deal. You have an asset sheet. You have, you know, think of your personal assets. You have your house, you have your car. It might be worth, your car might be worth $4,000 or $5,000 or $20,000. That doesn't mean you get that on the market. You have assets, you might have cash, you might have investments, you might have a, a 401k, you also might have loans and credit card debt and you take it away. Well, if you have an asset listed, let's say your car is ten thousand worth ten thousand dollars, but you only get eight for it. You made a loss of two thousand on your asset sheet, but you didn't declare it. Now can you imagine a bank doing this that's listed on a stock exchange? Now, are these four stories that I've laid out, the Estonia, the new investigation on tax transactions, the Panama Papers, the the big loss and not reporting on your financial sheet, are they in itself something to worry about? Singly, no. But I think what they do is they show a larger pattern of a company that is really, really corrupt, that is not doing things the right way. When you have that... It's start time to start going, hey, I want to just look at this. Now I want to share some numbers with you. And these numbers, I'm going to go very slowly because I don't want your eyes to gloss over. But there are certain things that happened this week that put this really on a red alert for me. And I want to explain what those numbers are. Anytime you have a company, and I'm going to just basically break this down into its simplest terms. So if I'm saying stuff that make you think I'm, I think you're stupid, I don't. I just want to explain everything and why I'm worried and why I'm concerned about this. And I'm trying to break it down in the simplest of terms. When you look at a stock market price, and you know the stock market is big because Donald Trump talks about it all the time. The success of the Dow. You had Barack Obama talking about it. Everyone knows what the stock market is doing generally per se. And the stock market is made up of a load of different companies' listings on it. There are two things that you need to understand about stock market prices. There is sentiment analysis, which is what I just kind of did. What do people feel about a certain stock? And it's based on stories. It's based on reports. It's based on earnings. The second part of analysis that you need to understand, which I'm not going to go into too big details because I will make your eyes gloss over, is what we call technical analysis. I'll come back to that in a second. When you see the four stories I just laid together, is there anyone who would look at that and other stories that I could share, but I just wanted to keep it simple, that the sentiment about this bank is good, that this bank is a good, wholesome bank? I believe the sentiment is bad. There is a lot of openness about, oh, I don't think they're good. They might not be good actors. Now, I want to be crystal clear. A lot of this stuff has still been investigated, so we don't know how it's going to pan out. Is it a chance that these could be innocent and there's nothing here? Sure. But generally, it's not a good idea to have people, police, raiding your offices. I know people love to talk about the deep state, but, you know, there isn't, when your financial industry is generally, it's not usually deep state. It's, you know, if, if we're, if they're going after you that hard, there's something there and they think it. But now I want to give you some business numbers because this is a company that is ex- widely pat- talking about bonuses been down, which is a big thing. If you're in the banking industry and you hear bonuses are down, that's a first sign. You might go, Oh, what's going on there? Is it just in a bank or is it in the industry? That's a first sign that things might not be kosher. Things are not so smooth on the inside. The second thing you have to understand is what it pays, especially for a bank like Deutsche. What does it pay on its bonds? Because what they do is they'll go to the market and they'll go, hey, market, we need X amount of money to fund our projects this year. And they'll get X amount of money. And because they're like a big bank, they hope they get money real cheap. And then they go and then they borrow it out at a higher rate to you and me and to, or to businesses or to real estate, whatever their industry is. 
Well, there were some really troubling numbers recently. On a two-year loan, and you don't need to worry about the, the terms in this because it will make sense. They went to the market and said, hey, we need this two-year loan for this amount of money. And the market came back and they got the loan, but at 180 basis points. Don't worry about what a basis point is or what the technical analysis is. Just understand 180. They then went and said, we need a a seven-year loan for this. We're going to pay this one over two years, this one over seven. And the seven-year loan came back at 230 basis points. This is really high. I want to put this into context for you. This is the biggest bank in Germany, and they pay 230 basis points on a seven-year loan. One small little bank in Spain called KXA Bank, its basis point on a five-year loan was 225. Why is a small little tiny bank in Spain getting a better deal than Deutsche Bank, the German dominant brand? Now, that's a small bank. You may think, well, it's only five basis points, Johns. Okay, you're right. A big bank in Spain called BBVA, it got a five-year loan at 130 basis points. That is huge difference between the two. Now, Spain, in case you don't know the geographical, political situation, Spain is not exactly a healthy economy. If you were to say which economy is better, the German economy or the Spanish economy, you would hands down say the German economy. Spain is based on tourism. German has a lot of other benefits. Germany is one of the dominant brands in Europe. It's France and Germany are the two big economies that run Europe. Why is this important to a business? Well, when you base so much of your business on investments, it's simple economics. The cheaper you can borrow money, the cheaper you can give money, the more profit you can make or the more money you can make. For a company that is widely cutting costs and trying to cut corners and is talking about profitability issues where they're missing their revenue projections, if it starts getting more and more expensive for them to borrow money to give it out, what's going to happen? Well, one of two things is going to happen. One, they're not going to make enough money. Because what they can sell to the market and what they're buying for, that gap is shrinks. And then that causes profitability issues. Or two, they've got to raise their interest rates of what they sell to people for, which then limits their impact. Because people will go, well, why am I going with you? I can go get it cheaper elsewhere. Hey, I know BBVA got a better deal on their bonds. I'll just go to them which then causes more financial crisis, which in turn causes more upheaval. But here's where I want to give you some other stats. Because the true indicator of a company is the sentiment, how people feel about it. I think there's some issue to concern. What, how a business operates, the ins and outs. I think there's some concern there with the bond market. But does it reflect in the stock price? Yes, it does. It big time does. Let me give you some examples because you all know, listening, there was a big financial crisis in the world in 2008, right? This should be not breaking news to you. This is, there was a big crisis through it. Let me give you some figures of some, of banks around the world of what happened. Bank of America. Their high was $54. 2008 happens to crash. They go all the way down to $5 and 50 cents. Today, they're at about $27, $28. So they've had a 500% increase. They've rebounded, not anywhere near the highs. They're still nowhere near the highs, but they've been, rebounded pretty well. You have companies like JP Morgan who have just grown exponentially. They've really become a strength and a market player. For example, their stock price at a high prior to 2008 was $47. 2008 happens, the crash happens, they get hit like everyone else, down to nearly $20, just under us. Today, they're at all-time highs that are $110. There is some confidence in the banking industry by stock prices. You look at companies over here in Europe, like um, one of the worst performing ones from a stock price is uh, Societal General. It's a French bank. Its high was $42. Its crash, its 2008 crash, went down to $495. It's hovering around that price. It came back up and it's back down, but it's still above its pre-crash price. Of five dollars and five cents. What is Deutsche Bank doing? Well, Deutsche Bank's price all-time high was one hundred and fifty dollars. Its low in two thousand and eight 
was $21.10. What is the price today? $6.75. Why am I sharing these numbers with you? Because we are at an all-time low in this stock price. Its price is really, really bad. It has not recovered from 2008. In fact, it is three times as, it's only 33% of the price that it was in 2008. Now, in technical analysis, when you look at these charts, they don't care really about sentiment when you do technical analysis. What they do is they look at Fibonacci sequences, you know, trend lines, what's the market doing? They look at different codes and, and I don't want to, you know, I know a bit about this, but I don't want to, I want to make it as simple as possible for you. But basically what they do is they look at higher highs and higher lows and lower highs and lower lows. And they have technical supports. And basically what they do is they look at technic, they look at technical numbers. They don't care about sentiment. And what they try and do is kind of go, okay, at this level, you should have support. And what they, they say is when a bank either goes up or it goes down, it will find support at this level. And if it doesn't, it'll go down to the next level. And if it goes down to the next level and it goes down to the next level, you're looking for support for it to go, okay, this is actually a real price. And then we can either start growing again or we can get consistency here and maybe build a bit of a platform. Basically, what they're trying to do is find out what a stock is really worth and where it could go and give it some targets. It's why if you ever look at, you know, if you ever follow cryptocurrency and and different, and you know, it happens in the stock market as well. Why at a certain point do people sell? It hits a certain odd price. A lot of that is traders looking at Fibonacci sequences kind of going, okay, my target is $10.02. I'm going to sell at $10.01. And the minute it hits it, it sells. Why? Because that's the target. And then obviously it comes back down because a lot of the market is now flooded with stocks and shares or cryptocurrency. And then they hope to buy in at a higher level and then, you know, look for the next target. Well, this week we're starting to approach a really key support level in the stock price of Deutsche Bank. And if this fails, this could trigger a lot of bad things happening. The number you need to look at if you want to follow this story is $6.40. There is a lot of people hoping that I've spoken to behind the scenes, that I've been doing the research on this. If it hits 640 and it finds support, a lot of what I'm going to say is still relevant, but we can kind of go, okay, it's not imminent. But we're at $6.75. We're really close to it. It could happen in the next few days. It might have happened by the time you listen to this on Saturday or Sunday, whenever you listen to this show. That is why I'm really worried about this bank. The sentiment is bad, the business model is not good, and its stock price is hitting a key resistance level. And if it does not find support at $6.40, it will keep going down. And then what happens? Before I get to the scenarios, if this is your first time listening, please subscribe to the show. We release a new show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Uh, We're on every major platform for free. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, OmniFM, CastBox, Spotify. You name it, search for Freedom's Disciples, subscribe. If you happen to listen on iTunes, I'd ask you to leave a rating and review. It helps us find new listeners each and every week. And we cannot grow this show without you. Before I go to the scenarios of what I think is going to happen, and this is going to be more my opinion, but I'll, I'll break it down for you. There's two key pieces of information I want to add. One is from Deutsche Bank itself. So they, because they're a stock listed company, there's reports available and you can kind of go, Hey, what are they thinking? What are they doing internally? How are they, what, what, how do they see the market? Well, they have picked three countries. That they think they can grow in and that they can make up some of the, you know, market share that they've lost. Those three countries are very interesting. One is Saudi Arabia. The second is the UAE and the third is Egypt. Now, if you don't know anything about financial things and I just said to you, Hey, I've got this big business. Um, and I forget if it's established or not, but it's going to be really key. And the key to making it successful is growing it in the Middle East. Do you think that's a smart business move right now? 
Do you think, hey, yeah, that's totally certain. There's nothing ever goes wrong in the Middle East, especially in a country like Egypt or Saudi Arabia. Nothing could possibly go wrong there that could put us or derail our plans. The second thing is, and again, I don't want to go into these in too much detail. If you want to know more, you can message me privately on, on social media about this. But there are certain companies out there that offer analysis of prices. And they, they rate companies and they rate them. And they give you, hey, should you buy them? Should you sell them? Should you hold them? There's a company called USB this week who came out and said, yeah, you should sell. You're, if you have stocks and shares in Deutsche Bank, you should sell. And not only that, but they... I don't know whether they knew this or not. I'm, I'm guessing they did because they're smarter than I am. But they give recommended prices of what they think it's worth. They think it's worth $5.80, which if they go through that analysis and I was right what I said, which I hope I'm wrong, I mean they see it going breaking the $6.40 support mark and going under it. If that breaks it, it could go down very a lot lower. Now, here's where I want to lay out the scenarios for you. And I'm going to give you my opinion. And I stress, these are my opinions based on my research. You can have a totally different opinion to that. That doesn't make me bad or wrong. It just We just have a different opinion. And they are okay on this show. Do I think Deutsche Bank is going under? Yes. I don't see how it can survive. I don't see, forget the people involved and the scandals, which are a big deal. When you have a any business where its costs are going up and its market prices are going down, where interest rates are falling and money's becoming cheaper and cheaper to buy, but you're finding it harder and harder to get and you need to buy money cheap to invest it, I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think it's a recipe for disaster because of just simple economics. The question isn't for me, will it go under? The question for me is, what is the impact? And no one knows this. If you start researching this, which I encourage you to do, don't take my word for it. Question everything I say on this show and every show. I think the people out there who will go, yeah, well, this is if, if, if they start talking about it, well, this is how it's going to go and they'll start giving you all these plans. I don't know anyone that I would say that I trust would say, I can tell you exactly how this is going to happen. Because here's the truth. We don't know. There's a lot of variables that can happen. Let's talk about some of those. If it goes under this week, next month, next year, whenever it happens, there is one stat you need to understand. On their books, they have $50 billion worth of derivatives. Now, what is a derivative? Uh, I need to learn how to say the word first before I give you a definition. A derivative. Let's keep this really simple. It's a contract between two or more parties, and it derives its price from fluctuation in, in an underlying asset, which could be you know, a stock, a bond, a commodity, a currency, an interest rate, a, a market indices. So they have $50 billion worth of these derivatives. What is the impact of these $50 billion? Where will the losses come from? Those who invested in it, where will their losses come from? We don't know. Will it go to other banks? It will in some point. Now, will it go to all one big bank and impact that bank? Maybe. Will it be spread around, like, you know, spread the wealth socialism where it's, you know, each bank has a little bit of contagion from it and it's totally fine? That is an option. There is an option where, hey, you have this bank collapse and everyone kind of has a bit in, you know, a bit of the pie. And while it's not exactly ideal, it just puts you back a bit, but it's okay. But here's where you don't start asking questions. And this is where I, my, some of my concerns come from. First of all, can you imagine? I spoke to you earlier on about the sentiment of a market. I shared the stories with you about, you know, why would you invest in Deutsche Bank right now? We all have these, you know, hey, will we invest in Apple? Will we invest in Amazon? You know, when there's a lot of good feeling to it. You know, I don't know whether, I'm sure some of you had these conversations with people who look after your 401k if you're really involved in it. Hey, I've got this opportunity. It's in Tesla or it's in, you know, a new market or it's in crypto. And your good feeling goes, yes or no. There's a lot of that in the market. What's the sentiment around it? Is it positive or negative? A small example of this, probably most famous one, was the crypto market last year. No matter how much new good news came out of the crypto market last year, it just kept going down. 
Why? Because the sentiment. Because people were like, oh, no, things are bad. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, yeah, there's this good news. I don't care. Things are bad. It's going down. And it just kept going down and down. And, it, you know, it was this bear market that was really, really horrible. The sentiment was really bad. And no good news could come. Even though it was coming, even though the advancements were made, it didn't change the sentiment of the market. Now, if you have a big bank, and this is not like a small bank. This is Germany's premier big branded bank. What's the sentiment going to do to other banks? Is because we're still fresh in the memory of 2008. Is there a chance that even if every other bank is totally fine, that everyone kind of goes, oh, you know what? I actually have some Citibank or I have some Bank of America. And I know it's Germany's all the way over there. And I know there's not much contagion. And yes, I know my bank wasn't affected. But you know what? I, I, these things happen. I might just get out of banking. What happens then if the sentiment starts to shift? Even though, let's give them the benefit of the doubt on this, on this scenario, that they're totally fine. Will the sentiment start turning the market over? And then will contagion start going? Because when you have stock markets, every company is inter- intertwined. This is one of the reasons why I do not like people promoting the stock market as some great success, regardless of your president. Because if you're basing it on the stock market, a lot of things can happen to a company's price that is out of its control. If the stock market tomorrow decides to go down, the fact that, you know, let's give two random examples. Disney stock price could be affected by the banking. Why? Well, because you're all on the stock market. And if sentiments turns around banks, it may then turn onto the stock market. And Disney's price goes down. Why? Not because of anything Disney did wrong or, or, and I'm only using Disney as an example. I'm just trying to think of two totally different brands, Disney and a bank. You can use it for Walmart on the bank if you want, whichever, you know, fill in the blank. The sentiment is bad in the market and everyone just starts pulling their money out. Even though Disney or the Walmart or whatever company you want to talk about has done nothing wrong, their numbers are still strong. They can be hurt by the sentiment of the market. Hey, we're really, you know, heading down. So you have that contagion of what it's going to happen. Is it going to flow over? But let's just take another scenario. What is going to be the reaction? How are governments going to deal with this? So let's give them the benefit of, let's say, you know what, this $50 billion that I'm pretty concerned about, let's say it's no big deal. Let's say it's spread around everyone and no one is really hurt by it. What happens to the, the bank? Is it going to get bailed out? Have, have people learned a lesson that, hey, you shouldn't bail out banks? Or is it going to cost taxpayers more money to bail out this bank? And who's going to bail it out? Because we don't, I can't find the underlying figures. I don't know who's going to be responsible. Let me give you some options. The German economy could have to bail it out. The German government. The German government may bail it out like Ireland bailed out the banks with an ECB IMF loan. What will that impact the market? Will the Federal Reserve have to bail it out because the Feds are involved in this as well, which means the American taxpayer could be on the hook for some of this? We don't know. If you can find out by, uh, if you're an expert in this, please let me know. By the way, I'd love to know if, you know, which, where the risk is, where, which economy is going to bail it out. But also then we get into another step further. Let's just peel that onion back one more level. How much trust do you have in the stress tests? Because after the 2008, we do these stress tests on banks. The stress test is, hey, how much, you know, have you got in assets? How much have you got in cash? How much have you got in loans? You know, if some loans went bad, you know, can you absorb losses? Can you, you know, how much stress can your bank be put under? Well, I don't know the the ins and outs of these stress tests, but I just spoke to you a lot today about market sentiment. You may be able to hold the stress tests on a paper. Hey, yeah, look, if we have these losses, we're able to cover it. If we have these things happen, we're able to cover these. We have cash reserves. We have, you know, other credit reserves. We have asset reserves. We have all these contingency plans. But what happens if the sentiment just turns really bad, really quickly? If people think, oh, my God, this could be another Lehman Brothers and start pulling money from the bank. Yeah, you might be on paper able to deal with the stress, but can you in reality deal with the stress of a market sentiment and your collapsing share price and another potential recession? That's one aspect of it. The second aspect is this. And this, I will give you forewarning, makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist. And I don't have the answer, but I'm just laying this out for you to do your own homework and make your own opinion on. And I forewarn, this sounds like a conspiracy theory. But I will ask you a question. 
Do you think there is an incentive for the ECB, which is the European Central Bank, and the Federal Reserve to tell the truth about the results of the stress tests? Let me give you an example. Let's say 50% is the number you need to hit to pass a stress test. And you put a stress test on some bank in England or in America or in Europe, and the number came in at, let's say, 45. Do you really want to cause a panic? Do you think there's an incentive there to tell the truth? Or do you think there's an incentive there by the bank or maybe and the Federal Reserve to say, you know what? Yeah, we're not going to cause the market. Look, you're close enough. Just get, you know, get in an order for the next line. Get it in check for the next stress test. We don't want to cause a panic. We don't want to turn the sentiments. Because the Federal Reserve came out this week and basically said, you know what, we're, number one, reviewing our rates, but two, you know, we want to keep this economy going as long as possible. Now, if that's your motive, would you then have people investigate banks and actually be going, yeah, that bank's in trouble and be the final debt now? Would you have that courage if you're in the Federal Reserve or the ECB? I know this makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it is something to question. Do you have confidence in the stress test of numbers the banks are giving the, the Federal Bank, uh, sorry, the Federal Reserve and the ECB? And do you have confidence in the government to tell you the truth? These are some questions that we need to ask ourselves because I am very, very worried. I could be worried about nothing, but this is the big story. Then when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about some other little stories that are absolutely critical that you need to know about. I believe Deutsche Bank is something you need to watch. That is by far the single biggest story that I can find out there that is a really worrying sign of of potential collapse, of potential recession. But I want to talk to you about a few isolated stories that affect each and every one of you that may cause a bit of a recession, but it will cause pressure and issues around the world. But I need to give you a definition and an explanation of what I want to lay out for you right now. The biggest thing that you need to understand about your own income, whether you know these terms or not, you all are familiar with it. It's called your disposable income. That is the most important figure that you have in many ways in your income. So basically, let's make this really simple. You get a thousand bucks a month. I know, God, who would live on a thousand bucks in America in 2019? I got it. But let's just keep the numbers simple. So you work and you, you get paid a thousand dollars after tax. That's what you have. And out of that thousand dollars, you got to pay your rent, which let's just keep the numbers simple. It's 200, you know, 300 bucks. You know, you got food, which is 200 bucks. You got a car payment, which is a hundred. You got your bills, which is 200. These are all things you need. You know, you can't, you know, you can't skip out on your rent. You're homeless. You can't skip out on light and heat. You go cold and don't have electricity. You can't skip out on, you know, different aspects. But basically, let's say your bills are all 800 bucks. Then you have $200 disposable income. And it's up to you what you do with it. That's disposable. You can do what you want with that. You know, that changes from, from week to week and month to month. You know, you may save it. You may invest it. You may put it in your kids' college funds. You may, you know, go instead, you know, instead of buying a, a cheap steak, piece of cut, you know, steak each week in the restaurant, we're going to buy a, you know, filet mignon, flaming mignon. Or you're going to eat out, so you're going to bring the kids to the cinema. You know, it's all these different things, and, you know, that changes and fluctuates week to week. Well, right now there are certain stories out there that are going to start impacting how much disposable income you have and it's going to start putting pressure on especially the little people the people when i say little people the the people with the least disposable income because they're going to have to do more with less and these are some stories that are all individually don't mean much you can survive any of these little individual things but when you start putting them all together you're going to start coming under price pressures And I want to warn you of these things that are coming because I believe, you know, while this is not the end of the world and we're going to go through planning after this, but I think if you are aware of it, you can create a plan and maybe prosper through this. 
First price pressure you need to wear of. And this affects America. These are affects Europe. It affects the whole world. But right now, in America, there's a big crisis. And it's two on two fronts. And it affects one industry. And that is the farming industry. Now, I don't want to make this about politics because people go, well, there you go about Trump again. The first one is these tariffs have had a really bad impact on farming. Have had a really bad, bad impact on farmers. But that alone, you can potentially survive. What you cannot survive is the issue farmers have faced with growth this spring. There is places in your country and around the world that the growth has been so bad that their farmers are basically saying, we're not going to make a profit and this is going to kill us. Because there has not been, there's been so much rain, there's been no growth. And in certain parts of the country, especially in your Midwest, there has been floods, really bad flooding. Why does this start causing price pressure to you? Because it affects you in two ways, directly and indirectly. The first way it affects you directly is the products, the crops they grew that you buy. The likes of your your corn, your potatoes, your vegetables. It affects you directly because of each and every one of them. Because if there's no growth, what happens? Supply goes down, demand stays the same, prices go up. All of a sudden, you may be paying, you know, 10% more for your vegetables. Now, that might, in isolation, seem not like a big deal, but it will affect you. It will affect you because all of a sudden, you know, you've got to divert more money to your shopping each week, which limits your disposable income, which means you're spending less money elsewhere. It also affects you in indirect ways because the growth has been so bad it, you know, there are crops that farmers need that you don't necessarily see that are critical to prices like milk, like eggs, like beef. Those crops are like maize, like hay. You know, people bale hay so they have feed for their animals. Well, if feed starts going up for the animals, then the cost per liter of milk that they give is going to start going up, which is then going to in turn go up to the soup, up to in price to the supermarket, which goes in turn to you, the end user. The end user, the consumer is always the one that pays the price for this. That's one story. The second story is a story that China is in really big trouble right now. Its economy is starting to falter, but secondly, You may go, well, I don't give a crap about China, John. They're the enemy, aren't they? Yes, but you also need to understand what's happening on the ground. China has been decimated right now in one industry. It's pork industry. Because there is African swine flu in in China. And when you get this, you have to kill the pig and you can't eat it. To put this into context, there's projections out there, and I don't know how reliable they are. I take these with a pinch of salt because it is China. It's not like, hey, we're, you know, we're China. We're accurate with our number of projections. It could be a lot less or it could be a lot more. This could be a tactic in the trade war. I don't know. But there are numbers out there that says that their pig supply this year is going to be down by 40 million pigs. That's a big, big drop in pig production and in pig meat. And then what happens to prices of pig? Now, in case you're wondering, well, I, you know, why is this a big deal? The three big meats that you need to understand that prices are, are there, the pork market, the chicken market, and the beef market. They are by far the most consumed meats around the world. Now, you may think, well, John, that's Chinese issues. Let's say hey, you're right about that, that that's a China issue. It still affects you and your bottom line because what will China do? If China has a shortage of pork, because they need pork meatballs and pork dumplings and sweet and sour pork, yes, I know that's, you know, a stereotype, they will then go to other markets to get it if they can't get it within their own market, which then puts prices up, which then affects you, the bottom line. So there's that story. The third story is trade and tariffs. You're going to be put under more and more pressure. Now, I don't know what's happening. There's a potential deal with Mexico about this, but there was potential of Mexican tariffs. But what you start seeing around the world is people are get, are more and more open to tariffs, and there's more trade wars happening, and people are more open to it. Who is the biggest pain? For, who is the biggest effect on the trade war? 
the individual people, because you are now paying effectively an extra tax. Now, what does this mean in the grand context? People think, well, it's only a 5% tax, or it's not that big a deal, or I'm okay paying with 5% more. Yeah, but it puts pressure on your disposable income. We, the truth about all these stories when you put them together is it's putting pressure on your disposable income. And we don't know how that's going to affect the grander economy. Because we don't know where people are going to make cuts. People may have a small thing and kind of go, you know what? Guess what? I'm just, I'm just not going to go to the cinema. Okay. Great. You're not going to go to the cinema. You're not going to have a, you're going to eat out twice a month instead of four times a month. Those industries go down. Then their employees, have problems. Maybe they get laid off or maybe they're reduced from full-time hours to part-time hours or they don't make as much in tips, which then means their disposable income is is caused pressure. And then they don't do things. They don't go out to the cinema or they don't go out to the pub or they don't buy their girlfriend that bouquet of flowers. And then those businesses are hurt. That is the pressure that you're on. This is not about Donald Trump. This is about pressure you are going to come under. Now, there is another statistic that I want to share with you. All these things by themselves are not big deals. But if they start coming together, you could have a perfect storm. There's a report out, and I believe we spoke about this a couple of months ago, but it's key to understand. Again, this is nothing to do with Donald Trump. This is actually to do with your people. Your people. Right now, there's a record number of Americans who are 90 days or more behind on their car payments. There are 7 million Americans who are behind on their car payment. What is that going to do to the economy? If that bubble bursts, if people start going, going and going with their later and later and later with their car payments, a car is not something you can do without in America in 2019 in a lot of places. You know, car is pretty important to you. You need it to get to your job. Now, a lot of people will say, well, what happens? We'll just repo them. If they can't pay their bills, it's tough luck. Okay, well, what happens to a car market if you start flooding it with 7 million cars? What happens to new cars? What happens to the people working in the in the factories if you have a surplus of these cars? This is another red flag that I am really concerned about. Again, these stories in isolation, you don't blink at them. You're going to go, that's really bad, but no big deal. I'm putting all these dots together and painting a picture for you of something that you need to watch. Now, you can make up your own mind. You can say, John, I'm over-exaggerating, or I'm I'm getting, you know, I'm adding up two and two and getting six. Okay, maybe I am. I hope I am wrong. But I'm making this case for you so that you can decide. And if you are worried, there are steps that you can make. There are things that you can do right now to get better prepared. I'm on social media. I actually love engaging with you. I do respond sometimes. It does take me a bit of time because I fall behind. But I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple and Facebook Jonathan Dunn 58. You know, send me a friend request, send me a follow. Let me know if you. I'd love to know your thoughts on this. You know, am am I onto something? Am I not? Am I you know been extremist or am I been a conspiracy theorist? I'd love to you know engage with you and talk to you about this. These are just some of the key stories that I have seen. There are a few other stories with you know record levels of deaths that we, we'll be talking about on future shows. You know, just for example, if you are somewhat worried that, you know, you think there's a potential for this to get really bad, well, you don't have the same resources that you had in 2008. You know, America's a lot more in debt, and it's a reason why I've been pounding this for so long, regardless of who's in the White House, whether it's a Republican or Democrat. Your debt level and your spending is out of control. Can you imagine the impact on the American economy that you don't have anymore? You're 22.3 or 22.4 trillion dollars in debt. You're back borrowing a trillion dollars a year. There is no one talking about the debt. It's incredibly frustrating. Now, that is a big number. Can you imagine if that gets worse? There's already talk about interest rates cuts. Well, what happens then if things get really bad? So there's a lot of pressure on, on both the economy, but there's also a lot of pressure on you as individuals and people are starting, going to start feeling it. But I want to give you some 
tips of what I think, you know, how you can evolve at this. Because the first thing you need to understand is a, is a little historical story. A lot of people will hear this and kind of go, oh my God, the end of the world, how am I going to survive? You know, John, this has really depressed me. Everything that you see out there, even if it's really bad, is an opportunity. You know, not to promote or not saying these people were right or they're even good people, but you look at the Kennedy family, for example, and how they made their money. They bet big on America when the Great Depression happened. Now, they also did a lot of unethical things, which I'm not recommending you do, but when you have bad things, there is opportunities out there. It's not a case of, well, when things are good, we'll make money. When things are bad, we won't. There are opportunities out there. There's also an opportunity, and the reason I've shared this show today and the reason I'm talking about what I'm talking about is I want to kind of give you a warning. And if you agree with me, and you're kind of going, John, I think you potentially are onto something, but even if you're not, I want to be better prepared. What can I do? Now, I need to stress this legally yet again. I am not a financial advisor. I will not tell you what to do. What I'm about to say is just general guidelines of what you can do. It's up to you to do your own homework and for you to find out what you want to do. I am not a financial advisor. I'm not regulated. I did not go to college for this, but I have been around. And I can also tell you some of the things I have done and I am doing. So first thing I think you need to do is get your own house in order. If you have issues financially or exposure, write down what you have. You know, write down your assets, write down your your, you know, your income, your, what assets you have, where you see money coming from, whether it's, you know, government or 401k, and kind of just look at it and kind of go, how stable are these? Then look at your costs and kind of go, okay, what can we do? And if it's a case of getting your financial house in order, if you have a small bit of debt or a bit of debt, I would consider doing some of the following. One, you know, instead of having that extra meal out, maybe pay a bit of your debt off. Make sure your financial house is in order. Make sure you don't have the pressure. As someone who has been out of debt now six months, let me tell you, there is no greater feeling on this earth from a financial point of view of being out of debt. You know, something can happen tomorrow. I'm like, okay, cool. It would really suck. I could be out of a job, but I don't have someone knocking on my door going, hey, you owe me money. It's a really great feeling. So reduce your debt. If you're thinking about taking on some debt, really reconsider it. Just, you know, I'm not telling you don't. I'm not saying do. I'm just saying really consider it. But there are some other steps that I think are key. And Americans have been historically really good at this. And I want to talk to you about some of them. The first one is, I think you should have some cash on hand. Again, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not advising you. But these are some of the solutions which I'm offering. And you need to pick which one is best for you. Have some cash on hand. And the other thing is, have some small cash on hand. Because if there is an issue with the banking industry, let me just give you two things that happened in recent history in Europe that could potentially happen if it gets, if it's a big crisis. First off, one of the things they did was a haircut. Literally, if you went to bed one night with $10,000 in the bank, you woke up the next day with $7,500 in the bank. They gave you a 25% haircut. That could happen. So where you have your money stored and put, maybe look around at different options. You know, maybe open a a different savings account, you know, more long-term savings account or, you know, a different investment. I don't know what it is. Don't have all your cash in one place. The second thing that they did, and they did this in Greece, was when they were dealing with their financial crisis, they had a limit on the amount of money you could access in your account each day. And that was $25. So have some money, cash on hand is an option to consider. Having some small cash on hand. If there is a major credit crisis, you know, the little things that you don't think about is if there's a credit crisis and their banks are having issues and are not releasing much money, one of the things that will go very quickly, especially if you're paying cash, is individual businesses' ability to get change. So a lot of people I know have said, well, I have cash on hand. Okay, how much of you have? I have X amount of money, but uh, you know what denominations? They're all $50 bills. Okay, if a credit crisis happens, and again, this is not financial advice. I'm just giving you the scenario to play out. Credit crisis happens. Your local 7-Eleven or your local Walmart cannot get change. Change runs out, and you need bread and milk. 
And let's say bread and milk is, I don't know, $5. Let's say it's gone up really high because inflation goes up and it costs $5. And you give them that $50 bill. Are you willing to not get it? Or are you willing to pay $50 for that if they go, I can't make change? Or are you willing, if you have a few $5 or maybe even a $10 to go, look, I'll pay the $10 for the, the bread and milk. I know you haven't got change and it sucks, but at least it's not much of a loss. So have some different notes. Maybe even have a lot, you know, maybe if you want something simple, buy a big jar or a big bottle and put a load of Coke quarters in it. You know, to use that as your savings. Every time you get coins, just throw it in it and have it there that, hey, you know, worst comes to the worst, we have a load of quarters. And hey, you know, might make a good weapon as well. You know, if you're, I don't know, we used to do that, play, you know, hit each other with coins and stuff uh, or flip them. You know, makes cool games if you're bored, if there's no internet and no Wi-Fi. So having some cash in hand is a is a good idea. It maybe you know I have some things like precious metals around. I know people like if you listen to Glenn or you listen to other shows, Gold Line advertises all the time. They're not a sponsor. They're not an advertiser here. We don't have any advertisers. This is advert free. But maybe look into precious metals. Maybe look into some cryptocurrency. You know, have a bit of Bitcoin, a bit of Bitcoin Cash, a bit of Litecoin, a bit of Rhythm. You know, have you know. Look around and see what options that you have. People ask me and have asked me when I started posting about this on social media, how much of this should I have? You know, which is better, gold or silver? I'm not a financial expert, but I will give you some general rules. Diversification in investments is key. I don't think there is any investment that I would go, hey, guess what? I have X amount of money and I'm putting it all in that. I don't know of any investment, even Bitcoin. I don't know whether it's going to be the best investment. But I will say owning a, you know, I do own a bit of Bitcoin personally. I own a bit of, I own one whole Litecoin. Yay me. Um, I own a bit of Iridium. I can't remember exactly how much I own, but I own a little bit of everything. Maybe do a bit of gold, a bit of silver, a bit of platinum, whichever you feel best in. Re your own research. But there's also other couple of things that I would encourage you to consider doing if you have never done before. If there is a potential crash and there's issues on hand, and there's a potential, you know, for financial issues or, you know, life issues. There are certain things that you should store that are really important. And you, I would ask you just to look at your own plan. First of all, food storage. Really important. How long can you prepare without food? If something happens tomorrow, even let's say I'm wrong 100% on this. This is good advice, I think, from a point of view of, let's say you're in, you know, the Midwest. Was it Idaho that had all those floods? And, and people couldn't get out for a while? what what do you do do you have cash do you have uh, you know assets that you can trade do you have gold by the way the other one thing i'd say is and i think it's a really good idea um from an innovation point of view is they have these gold credit cards now you know with little bits of gold in it lots of people i know have a bit of gold and it's like a chunk of it you know think of logistics of oh my god there is a major crash i need to get bread and milk tomorrow how do i pay for it well i've got this lump of gold well how am i going to get change for that Whereas if you have those little small ones, I think they're like worth a hundred bucks. They're little like quarter of an ounce or something. Again, I don't advertise, so I don't know, but just little small things like that. Just think of practicality of how you would pay for things and what you would do. But food storage, how much, how long can you go without food? If you can't access the store, if there's no fresh bread and milk, what would you do? Can you prepare? The other aspect, there are certain aspects of food prep that I think are critical. So obviously food is key, but there are other aspects. Alcohol is a key thing. Alcohol is a big thing. One, from a medical point of view, you know, if something happens and you fall and you can't get to the doctor, well, you know, you have to alcohol a syringe or a knife. Alcohol is really good. So I would look around at things like alcohol, even maybe cigarettes. Because if a financial crisis happened, which has happened in Ven is happening in Venezuela, it's happened in Greece, it's happened in Cyprus, you also have to look at things from a barter point of view. What can I trade with someone? I know someone down the road who might help me, you know, you know, with, you know, with his solar power charging things. Well, I'll give him this. What would, what would it, what would he like? What would they like? Think of things that are, you know, really not disposable, not perishable that can last. You know, alcohol is a really good thing. Salt is another good thing. You know, wine is another good thing. Cigarettes. Think of just from the mindset of, I don't know what your area is like or what your situation is like, but think of what you can trade with people 
If you need bread, if you need to go down to the local farmer, hey, I know the local farmer has chickens. I'll go down to him. I need some eggs. Okay, well, what can I give him? It may not be a fair swap, but think about it. Hey, will you give me six eggs for, I don't know, five cigarettes? Yeah, okay, cool. Will you give me, you know, eggs for, you know, and I've got cash or I've got all these quarters? They may say yes, they may say no, but think of it from that point of view. This is what I believe you need to do. Aspects of worrying about how you can trade with people. Salt, alcohol, cigarettes. You know, and make an alcohol that lasts long, not something like a Bailey's that's like cream, like a vodka or a whiskey. And it doesn't even have to be good stuff. It can be, you know, the, the generic brand stuff that you buy that you'd never drink. It, it will work in, in storage. The other aspect, and this is the last warning I'll give to you and something that I would ask you to consider, is if you're on any medicines, if you're on diabetic medicine or you're on, um, you know, that you need insulin or if you're on breeding, how much of a, pre, you know, stash do you have? How long can you go without medicine? And think of it from the worst point of view, because we'll always go, well, I, got, I just got my month subscription of stuff there, now I can last a month. What happens if it happens on the last day? Think of how you would get it. How would you get your insulin? How would you get your different things? Have you got a little secret stash somewhere that you keep rotating? What affects you in your life? What do you need in your life? Again, I want to be crystal clear about this. I'm giving you doomsday things. I don't think it's going to be doomsday, but I think we're going to see some dark days ahead. I hope I'm wrong, but between Deutsche Bank and the pressures that you're having in your economy, there's also things like yield curves that I haven't spoken to you about because I don't want to make your eyes gloss over. But if nothing else, I would hope and I pray and I beg you to look at your life and just kind of go, we need to just take a stock of where we are right now and let's just make sure we're independent and that we're ready if John is right, which hopefully he is so wrong about. And I hope I'm wrong about. This is something I would ask you just to consider. Also, please share it with your family and your friends if you think I've made any points that, hey, you need to listen to this. Even if you never listen to another of my shows again, just kind of go, okay, here's the things that this guy is worried about. And maybe he has some credence to it. I'm going to prep for it. So that's what I would say to you, is if you are not ready... Start prepping for doom, not doomsday, but really bad things to happen. Reduce your debt on other people. Reduce your independence on other people. Have cash in hand, crypto, precious metals, food storage, things you can trade and things that you can banter. But lastly, I'll leave you with this piece of advice. And I do consider this advice. As someone who's an outsider, as someone who has loved America... One of the things I have loved and I promote and I finish the show each and every week the same way is that I say America is great because Americans are good. There is many things I love about your nation. That is one of them. Because I believe in your people. I actually still believe, even despite you're in this political haze right now and you're all about sides and good and bad, when it comes down to it, you have a history, you have a track record of putting all that stuff aside and actually been good, decent, honest, noble people, and loving towards each other. 9-11 was one of your worst days in your history. 9-12 was one of your greatest days. I look at things that happened when the, the floods happened in the Midwest this year. I look at things like Houston. There People just go out of their way to help each other. This is my advice. Look in your local community and get friendly with people around you. Build up a bit of a relationship that maybe you never had before or maybe you lost because of politics. It's something to consider that if bad things do happen and you have to last a couple of days without food or without cash, that you can go to them and that you can build up that rapport that you can trade. And if you have a farmer friend, definitely get friendly with them because if they have eggs or or they have some chickens or lambs or beef or whatever they have or buffalo, they can help you. So that is something I would consider, and also consider your own personal safety. Guns, ammunition, whatever you got to do. These are some things I would consider. Don't take my word for it. Question everything I've said on this show, and then do your own homework and make a plan for you that is unique to you. 
please share this with your family and your friends. And as always, we finish each and every week the same way. We salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. The men and women who, despite it all, despite anything I've said, will risk it all for your life 24-7. They are the real heroes in society. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good, decent people. Yes, you are. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you have a beautiful and blessed and safe week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.